I speak to you in the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. In the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth, the earth was a formless void, and darkness covered the face of the deep. While a wind from God swept over the face of the waters, then God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. I must admit that my reading of it does not do justice compared to Don's, but it's worth repeating for the purposes of my homily. Many of us recognize these passages, and if you don't, it wouldn't be a stretch to assume that this is indeed from the beginning of one of the creation accounts. At first, it would make sense to hear these words revealing the beginning of the story at a time when we celebrate new beginnings. The calendar year creates a numeric hope for the new, giving us an excuse to start things we have perhaps held up on to challenge us to look at the world with a new lens and maybe even reinvent ourselves with the hope that perhaps the next 365 days could be something different. It makes sense to come to church on the first Sunday of the year and hearing the beginning and hoping that the calendar marks a new beginning for us as well. Now, I could just leave it there and present to you possibly the shortest homily ever preached from this pulpit, And I would assume that many of you would be okay with that. But for the purposes of more content, if you will, let's look at it through the lens of the liturgical calendar. You know, the one that really doesn't observe the transition from one year to the next on December 31st. After all, our liturgical calendar began about a month ago with Advent. So, on our calendar now, today, is the first Sunday of Epiphany. And it is also the baptism of our Lord Jesus Christ. So why read both of these stories, the story of creation and observe the baptism of Christ on one day? They are two major watershed moments in our biblical history. I would think that they would maybe merit their own Sunday, but it completely makes sense to have them together in tangent. Now for my movie reference. In 1972, Mario Puzo was on top of the world. Not only did his book, The Godfather, become a successful movie, but he then won the Academy Award for Best Adaptive Screenplay. This accomplishment alone would have been enough for most people to walk away and revel in what they had done, but because the movie was so successful, the studio wanted what many filmmakers cringe at, which is... A sequel. Today's sequels are fairly common, whether it be in film, television, or literature. Using an already established intellectual property is almost guaranteed to make money. But how many sequels, or spin-offs, or whatnot, risk hurting the art of the original? How many of you have seen Jaws 2? Or Jaws 3? Has anyone actually read and enjoyed the book Closing Time, the sequel to Catch-22? But sometimes, and very rarely, a sequel not only enhances the original, but brings new dimension to it, and sometimes it can be objectively better. When 
Mario Puzo adapted his book to the original Godfather movie, he had cut out about one-third of his novel to make sure that the movie stayed under a mere three hours, which compared to today's Martin Scorsese film or any movie Kevin Costner did in the 90s is pretty short. But in the early 70s, this was rare. 50 years ago, we didn't have the, the amount of movie theaters that we have today, and so the longer the movie, the less playtime. And the less playtime, the less tickets sold. It was a gamble. So when the studio pressured Puzo to write a sequel, he did have a lot of material from his book, but the things that he cut out of it are the story that took place before the original film. And they didn't want a prequel, they wanted a sequel. So stuck in a corner, he used a literary device that helped him once again win the Academy Award for Best Adaptive Screenplay and made one of the best films of the 20th century. Mario Puzo would take the prequel that he had already written and then he would create a sequel to the movie telling the story of the rise of the father and son simultaneously with each tale taking place 50 years apart, back and forth throughout the entire movie, if you remember. This device is called Parallel Plot the ability to tell two or more separate stories, moving the bigger story forward, and sharing one purpose. In biblical studies, we would call this intertextuality. So I want to experiment with this a little bit this morning. What I want to do is I want to look at the Genesis story and the gospel reading in the same way that Puzo writes his sequel. In the gospel, Mark writes, Jesus was baptized by John in the river Jordan. Genesis begins with a void. In Mark, Jesus is said to come up out of the water. In Genesis, a wind from God swept over the fade of the waters. In Mark, the heavens torn apart and the spirit or pneuma or wind descended like a dove. And in Genesis, God says, let there be light. And in Mark, God says, you are my son, the beloved with you I am well pleased. Water, spirit, and proclamation. So I have two questions this morning that you're probably all thinking of. First, what does this mean for us then? And second, why do I know too much about the making of the Godfather movies from church? And I understand that. I will say that we watched the first one in seminary because it has the best account of baptism in Hollywood history. Folks, the story of creation is not merely a historical account, but rather the beginning of our invitation into God's story. Being created is the invitation, and baptism works simultaneously with this narrative. Theologically, creation is not a singular moment but a time in, a, in time, but rather the first of many in which God creates order out of chaos. Perhaps we can even look at Genesis as the first verse of the creation song rather than its entirety. When we learn throughout the what we learn throughout the Bible is that God is constantly creating. And Jesus' account in baptism is no different. This baptism, when the heavens do not break open or just open, but are torn open, revealing to us that something has happened that cannot be reversed. And Jesus does what God did in the beginning, which is the reopening of the world. Well, the creation account in Genesis is the beginning 
of our story with God. Baptism is the genesis of the Christian life. It tells us that though creation is cosmic, through baptism, creation is also personal. So the the God who created the entire universe is also the same God who names each and every one of us by our name. Today, we had, during the 9 o'clock service, we had a few baptisms, and we poured water over our candidates, and we sealed them by the Holy Spirit with oil, and then we made proclamations. This is not only in reference to what Christ did, but it harkens back all the way to creation itself. Because in baptism, we are created anew. In baptism, we understand that creation is still happening. In baptism, we see the light of God that God created and that it is good. And in baptism, we understand that like Christ, we are beloved. Friends, I invite you today on this new year to lean into the profession of God's creation, making things new, and remember your baptism, for you have been created anew through Christ and in Christ and with Christ. Amen.